Welcome to the study of God's Word recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Let's get into the Word. You got a Bible. Turn to Exodus chapter 8. If you use an app, use an app. Your iPhone, your whatever it is you use. Um, I've been a believer for 29 years. Uh, from the very beginning, I kind of had this draw towards eschatology or the end times. We're not talking about that this morning. But, you know, it's one of the three things that the Bible says we're not to be ignorant of, right? The other two is we're not to be ignorant of Satan's devices and we're not to be ignorant of uh, spiritual gifts. And one of the things that's very prevalent in the end times, we're told, is not only this abandonment of truth, where people don't even know what the truth is anymore, but there's a walking away or an abandonment from the faith or an apostasy. But there's something else that doesn't get a lot of press. And it's really big, and you're living through it right now. It's what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 12, when he said, because of lawlessness and the increase of lawlessness abounding, the love of many is going to grow cold. And he doesn't just save that for, for unsaved people. The love of many is going to grow cold. You guys, I'm very concerned, like many of you, about our civilization. I'm very concerned right now about our society. The last several years, lawlessness in the human heart has breached the surface to a point where we've always known it's existed, Right? We've always known the heart's deceitfully wicked above all else, but we've never seen anything like this before. Right? The Bible calls lawlessness a mystery, the mystery of lawlessness. And you and I scratch our heads sometimes going, I don't get it. I don't understand why society is unraveling like this. And so the other thing we see is the effect that it's having on everybody, including the church. When we start hearing about people's political positions or new laws that are being passed or ideologies or worldviews that we don't agree with, no longer can we sit and have a discussion and pat each other on the back in the end and say, okay, God bless you, see you next time. Now there's a deep hatred that is coming out of the human heart where there is no tolerance whatsoever. And that is due to the very thing Jesus said. When lawlessness increases, the natural affection and love that people would have for human beings is going to dissipate as well. And there, listen, there's no, you know, the, the, the church isn't preserved from that. Christians aren't preserved from that. I got the same hatred that comes into my heart when I hear certain things or see certain things. Whatever though, folks, concerns I have, you might have about society and it's kind of spiraled down to the bottomless pit of whatever is coming, it pales in comparison to the concern I have for the church and for people that say they love Jesus. Folks, the Apostle Paul said that in the last days, people were going to have a love affair with the world. They were going to become one with the world. 
and the entire time, they were going to have a form of godliness, but they were going to deny the power. In other words, he says in the last days, people will fill auditoriums, they will fill churches, they will raise their hands, they will have this form of godliness, but their lives will be radically different than what they profess. They will be lovers of themselves. He says they will be boastful, they will be proud. All that will exist, and listen, while they praise God. And folks, when in the last days the Christian becomes one with the world, there's a problem that's going to arise. Now this has always been the case. Throughout Scripture, you can read Ezekiel chapter 8 on your own. God gives Ezekiel, the prophet, four visions. And each vision is proceeded with this phrase, turn and see a greater abomination than this. And so when he gets to the third vision, He says, turn and see a greater abomination than this, Ezekiel. God takes Ezekiel into the doorway of the temple. And he says, to my dismay, to my unbelievable eyes, the women were weeping for Tammuz. Now what Tammuz stood for, who he was, is irrelevant. Know this, he was a Babylonian god, and the women of Babylon had a worship style or a worship practice where once a year they would get together and they would weep over this Tammuz. And God took Ezekiel into the doorway of his house, and he said, look at this, Ezekiel. My people are crying over the same thing that the world is crying over. I can't tell the difference between those who say they believe and those who clearly don't. They are doing the same thing. They're acting the same way. In Jeremiah chapter 7, he gives us another example. He says, Jeremiah, I want you to go to church. I want you to go to second service, and I want you to walk in, and at the doors, greet the people. He's the the OG greeter. As they walk in, you tell them, amend your ways. Will you rob, commit adultery, steal, burn incense unto Baal, and come and stand before me in my house, which is called by my name, and say, we're delivered? Do you think I don't see this? Is what God says. Folks, it has always been the case. The problem is, this is dangerous stuff. Really dangerous. There is not one instance in Scripture that I can think of that when the people of God, in thought or in practice, became one with the world where it didn't end badly. Really badly. You know, people look out today and they want to blame Republicans and they want to blame Democrats and blame politicians for the demise of a country. You want to blame somebody? Look at Jeremiah 32, verses, verse 32. God tells you why a nation fell. He tells us in Jeremiah 32, 32, there, there's this reason. Three people are at fault. Yes, your kings and your officials, your politicians. Then he says your priests and your prophets, your pulpits. And then he says the people. All three were guilty. The kings and the politicians, they passed the laws. The priests and the prophets said nothing. They said peace and safety. They didn't guide people in the Word of God. They didn't lead them the way they're supposed to go. And the people loved it. So all of them were guilty. That's how a nation falls. It's not one person's fault. Folks, how does a Christian become one with the world? Because some of you struggle with this, and I get it. It's real. This morning, we're going to look at three offers of compromise that are made by the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, to Moses. That, listen, if Moses agrees to any of the three, 
21st century experience shows us he'll cause wreckage to the nation, they'll never get out of bondage, and they will stay there far more than 400 years. The first offer of compromise to Pharaoh, by Pharaoh to Moses is in Exodus 8. Here's the picture. In Exodus chapter 5, two 80-year-olds, well, one 80-year-old and one 83-year-old come into Pharaoh's you know, chambers, let my people go. Just as a side note, this is like outside of the Lord, this is laughable, right? Like, like here come 163-year-old between the two of them. They walk in or, or stumble in or whatever, and, and to the mightiest empire in the world, to the mightiest king, and they say, yo, let my people go. <laughs> like, how intimidating is an 80-year-old? Now, if you're 80, Caleb was 80, right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to pull that one back. <laughs> A lot can be done when you're 80. But you get the picture. And so Pharaoh starts to contend with Moses. But the reality is, Pharaoh's fight wasn't with Moses, was it? Because we know that any time a person has an issue or they have a problem with other people or they have a problem with something that's you know, happening, oftentimes it's because they have a problem with God. Well, the problem is my wife or the problem is my husband. The problem is my boss. The problem is my stinking kid. The problem is Dot, dot, dot. No, the problem oftentimes is us. And so we need to make sure we check that the contention is in between us and God. Because if you move Moses out of the way, Pharaoh's got a problem with God. You see, there can't be two kings. There can't be two rulers. And God is going to get his way because God doesn't bow to any man. I have a feeling in the story, one person's going to bow and it's not going to be God. So what happens is as, as God begins to interact with Pharaoh... Pharaoh's knees begin to weaken as God interacts with 10 judgments or 10 plagues. And after the fourth plague, which we're told is flies, it ruins the nation. Now, flies are miserable pets, aren't they? <laughs> How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? How many of you hate flies? Yes, you, everybody raise your hand. I hate flies. <laughs> it seems like every time I'm doing something important, there's one around my head. So the, 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 the land has been ruined from flies, and so Pharaoh calls Moses and Aaron back in to meet with them, and here is his interaction and his first offer. Look at Exodus 8, starting in verse 25. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right for us to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I'll let you go sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Oftentimes, when we read Scripture, Egypt is a type of the world. And so Pharaoh here is saying, look, you want to go worship God? He's weakening. Go worship Him. Just stay here. Just stay in the land. you got homes. We're feeding you. Just stay here. And Moses says, yeah, that's impossible. And here's why it's impossible, Pharaoh. Because we're going to worship God according to how He describes and the focus of our worship is going to be the blood. And when we take an oxen, which your people worship, and we kill it, what do you think your people are going to do to us? They're going to kill us. They're going to stone us because we are sacrificing something that is precious to them. 
Now, I know, Pharaoh, you want to be tolerant, and I know you got this whole coexist thing going on, but here's the reality, Pharaoh. The land cannot bear up under the burden and the weight and the divisiveness of both groups when both hold to their form of worship. It isn't going to happen. If the people of God stick to how God describes they are to worship, both their worship and their message will be an affront to the world, not an invitation. And if the world holds to their form of ideology and they press in at the church, you got a collision and there's nothing you can do about it. It's not going to be the way you think. It's too heavy, listen, unless one compromises their convictions. If one backs off their convictions, if one kind of dims their, their, you know, their light, then it will work. But if both hold to their guns, it is not going to happen. Church, I asked the question when we began, how does a believer become one with the world? Number one, by watering down our convictions out of fear of offending the unsaved out of fear of offending the unsaved. Well, Steve, the most important thing is the harvest, and it's white, and if we offend the harvest, they won't come to church, they won't listen, they'll run away. Brothers and sisters, they're already running away. They're already running. And the world cannot afford the church to compromise convictions so it can win the world to what? To who? We become one with the world by telling Pharaoh, okay, listen, we'll stay here in Egypt. We'll worship here in Egypt. And if there's a part of our worship that offends you, we'll just change it. We, in fact, we'll, we'll just get rid of it altogether because the most important part of this is that you're not offended. And so we'll allow you to tell us what faithful worship to God looks like. We'll let you tell us, you know, what love is. Even though our God is love and it's His nature, you tell us what your version of love is. You tell us what marriage is. You tell us what gender is. You tell us what pronouns are. In fact, why don't we do this? Why don't you just tell us what sin is and you lead us? Because we don't want you to be offended. That's the most important part. That's great that we're willing to make that type of concession. Because the world isn't. Did you know that? The world doesn't give a rip about your convictions. They don't care about offending you. They're going to pass their laws, and they're going to pass their curriculum in school, and they're not going to care if you're offended at all. The world is going to be faithful to stand in its ideology because the God of this world is fueling them. And I don't mean Yahweh. He's not backing down. Can I be blunt? Since when did the church become such snowflakes? Since when did the image bearers of God the Holy One of Israel, the Ancient of Days, the One who spoke into existence everything that is and then said, go, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Since when did we become such punks that we're allowing the world now to tell the church what worship looks like? Folks, we don't have the right to preserve people from the offense of the Gospel. We don't have that right. 1 Peter 2.8 says Jesus is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. 
And we can't keep people back from that. God hasn't empowered us with that. And the truth is, you are going to have two reactions. And it might come in your own home. It might come from the people that you love the most. But just because they're offended doesn't mean that we now change our convictions so we can accommodate them to show them a love that Scripture never prescribed. Ever. When Peter shared the Gospel in Acts 2.37, we're told that when those people heard the message, they were cut to the heart. And 3,000 souls gave their life to Jesus. But not long after, Stephen shared the gospel, and it didn't go real well for him. In Acts 7.54, it says, when Stephen shared the gospel, they were enraged and they ground their teeth and they stopped up their ears. Two different responses. But two necessary responses because God doesn't force a person to love Him. He doesn't force a person to accept Him. So when the gospel is shared, understand this, you are going to have opposing views. And you and I do not have the right to preserve people from either the conviction in hopes of conviction or from the offense. When Paul shared the gospel in Acts 7.32, it says that some mocked, but others joined and believed. That's our reality. Folks, we know we're too close to the world when we're willing to change our message in order to accommodate their sins so they won't be offended and we won't be stoned. That's when you're too close. Moses told Pharaoh, there's no way. We can't stay here. We have to cut the tie. We got to go three days. So Pharaoh replies in Exodus 8.28. And he says, okay, fine. If you want to do that, go worship your God. But don't go too far. You you don't have to sever yourself completely from Egypt. I mean, don't go too far. Stay close. You want to be a Christian? Be a Christian. Don't go too far, though. I know you got those friends that every time you hang out with them, you do bonehead things. I get that. But you don't need a whole new group of friends. I mean, don't go that far. That's kind of lame. I mean, stay close. I mean, you don't want to be more holier than thou, right? Even though they're crushing and ruining your life. That's too far. Way too far. I know you have that job where the the person you work with, you look forward to see every day. Unfortunately, they're not your spouse. and, And God's convicted you. And he said, hey, you know, you need to get another job. Another job? That's too far. Do you know how hard jobs are to come by? That's way too far. Come on. Seriously? And the last thing in the world that you should be doing is opening up your mouth and telling other people about Jesus. Hey, listen, religion's a personal thing. It's a close thing. You be quiet. You be quiet. Who who are you to be intrusive to them? Don't go too far. Keep it inside. You fill in the gap. There's a lot of... There's a lot of areas where we can go too far, but what is too far to the world is normal Christian living to God. But Moses says something here, folks, that is huge. He says something that is massively important. In verse 27, for us to understand the believer's relationship to Egypt, To the world, he says, we must go three days journey 
into the wilderness to sacrifice to our God. Three days. Folks, in Hosea 6.2, the prophet is speaking about the revival of a nation and bringing a nation back to life. Here's what he says. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live. In John 2.19, Jesus says, if you destroy this temple, his body, in three days, he will rise up. Up again. So what is he talking about? Folks, oftentimes the, the, the three-day mark speaks of new life. It speaks of a new beginning. It speaks of a restart. And so what Moses is saying to Pharaoh's first offer of compromise here is we're not going to stay in Egypt. We're not going to stay too close to Egypt to worship God. We can't. We got to go three days. We need a new life. We need a start. We need a rebirth. We're not staying here. And folks, I want to suggest to you that the reason some of us have problems today is because we've stayed too close to the thing we were supposed to leave. We're struggling, and I get it, folks. I, 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 I struggled the first two years of my walk with God. I remember it was, it was tragedy after tragedy. My, I, I got saved on a, on a Sunday the, the, the night before. I, you know, I had my girlfriend, who's my wife now, and we did what girlfriends and boyfriends do that aren't saved, and Sunday came, and now everything's not okay, and I'm just kind of like, gosh, what do Christians do? Like, for fun. <laughs> and so I went to the pastor, Jeff Johnson. He's my pastor at the time. Out in the foyer out there, and after church, and I had my pen and my pad, and I was dead serious. And I said, okay, look, man, I'm new to this whole Christian thing. I get the whole not sleeping with your girlfriend before you get married thing. Well, what can I do? And he kind of looked at me, and he's like, you need to treat her like your sister. I'm like, dude, that is sick. You understand, right? Like, I don't know what kind of church you got going here. We're not in the South, like in Alabama. Any Alabama fans? Good. <laughs> but, but we don't do that. <laughs> So I go to the guy at night, the night service, and I said, hey, the guy in the morning, you know, like, he told me I need to treat her like my sister, and the whole time, my wife, who's my girlfriend at the time, was just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he's doing this. I was serious, man, like, tell me what I can do. What was I really asking? I was asking, will you please tell me where the line is, where sin technically becomes sin, because I want to walk just this side of it, so I can experience all of God and all of the world and still have both. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How did that work out for you? It didn't. If you walked with Jesus long enough, your beginning years probably entailed that. You wanted both. You were coming out. Here's the amazing thing. God was gracious to walk with you. God was gracious. And I, I can just imagine the Lord's probably like, oh my word, here we go. Like, dude, you've got to get this together. <laughs> Man, we really emptied the grace tank when we were younger in the Lord. <laughs> and we're still emptying it. <laughs> you guys, I've tried that. You've tried that. For those of you that are there this morning and you're trying that, let me just bind together with the other brothers and sisters in here and give you a humble bit of advice. It doesn't work. You're going to have to choose. You're going to have to choose which one. Pharaoh can't be king. And listen, God can't be king in your life. One or the other. 
make the decision because when I made the decision to break the tie, now that doesn't mean that I don't struggle like you. It just means that the life of living in proximity to the world, when that decision was made to break it, life changed and God took me serious and my whole life, into, I mean, to put a kind of a sprinkle of humor into it, God said, now go into the ministry. You're going to have to make a choice and some of you in here are struggling this morning maybe because you're living too close to what you're supposed to have walked away from. It won't work. The second offer of compromise by Pharaoh to Moses is in Exodus 10, verse 8. When God sends locusts, it ruins the land. And so Pharaoh summons Moses back into his presence in the aftermath, and he says, okay, go worship God. You got me, but who's going to be going with you? Who's going? And Moses replies in verse 9, he says, well, all of us are going. And Pharaoh lashes back in verse 10 with this kind of, you know, snarky thing that says, yeah, kind of over my dead body. I know you got a plan to hurt me. So no, the kids stay. You can go worship. What was he saying? Pharaoh was saying, give me the next generation. You go worship God. But your kids stay behind. I get the next generation. Church, listen. This is a compromise that we cannot afford to absorb. We cannot give the next generation to the king of Egypt, to the God of this world. You will not like what comes out the other side. It's always puzzled me, folks, that some of the greatest people in the Bible with the greatest faith really struggled in this area. I think of David. David had an idiot son who raped his sister, David's daughter. And then he had another idiot son who decided to take matters into his own hands and kill his brother, and then later on take his kingdom. Samuel had two sons that were worthless. When Samuel got old, being the last judge, he decided to make his two sons judges. And Israel was like, forget this, they were taking advantage. They're like, if this is what a theocracy is, if this is what it means to have mediators over us, then shine that. Give us a man like all the other nations, because we don't want this. They were dorks. You guys, Eli had two sons. And they sat at the temple and they ripped the people off and they took their money and they slept with the women. And Aaron had two sons, Nadab and Abihu. And they decided they wanted to worship their own way. And Lot had two daughters and they decided to get their dad drunk and take advantage of him. Folks, if you're a parent and you choose to worship God, Satan can't stop you but please don't leave the next generation to the king of Egypt. They go with you. Moses rejected this offer. He said, our kids are coming with us. Now I understand that, that you know, they may not want to go. I have a 14-year-old girl, and you know, she told me probably a couple months ago. She said, Dad, I'm bored in the Lord. It's like, I don't want to go to youth group. Now, I, I could have said... What do you mean you don't want to go to youth group? You reprobate? <laughs> like, like, what do you mean? I'm, you're a PK. You got to go. Do you know what the church is going to say? You know how bad that's going to look? So I sat down and talked with her. And I said, Emma, what's going on? She said, I don't understand the Bible. And it's boring when I read it. And there ain't anybody to teach me. So while I'm off ministering to other people's marriages and teaching other people, 
my kid comes and tells me, God, I don't understand the Bible. And man, I had to apologize and say, well, let's sit down right now and let's start this. Guys, Pharaoh's not going to teach her. He's going to teach her something completely different. Your kids go with you. No matter what. There will come a point where they will have to make a decision to serve God themselves. But until then, as for you and your house, you serve the Lord. And you be an example and you take them with you. You don't give them to YouTube. You don't give them to social media. You will not like the product that comes out. I want to say something else real quick to young people that are here. You can't stay behind. You can't stay behind. And here's why. You can go places that we can't. And there's people that need your faith. There's people that need... Folks, we don't start Christianity when someone turns 18. They're being trained at the youngest of ages and we have got a group of young people that if you will separate yourself from Egypt, you can go into a place and you can be a witness in a way that can save lives. Amen. Four years ago, you can look it up on the internet, in a place called Harriman, Utah, about six miles down the road from us, it made national news. Eight students took their life in one school year. Separate, not mass, one after another after another. I wonder what would happen, by the way, in a place where 80% proclaim to believe God. I wonder what would have happened if there would have been young people that would have engaged. I wonder if one or three or five might have rethought their decision. This is a matter of life and death. Let me give you a practical example. My oldest daughter, McKenna, when she was 16 years old, she was in a high school where there was her and maybe one other Christian. The rest were of the predominant religion in Utah. And she would constantly invite people to youth group and many kids would come to know the Lord. This one girl in particular, her name was Corinne. She met Corinne when she was 16, I believe, and they kind of struck up a friendship. And then as high school ended, Corinne went her way and McKenna never heard from her for about three years. And then McKenna gets a phone call from Corinne one day and Corinne starts telling her her story and she starts saying, my life is so messed up. I've been raped. I tried to commit suicide twice. I've been addicted to drugs and alcohol and I'm calling you because I remember that when we were in school, you were the only one that I ever believed knew God. And so they started talking on the phone and, and, and you know, she started, started you know, talking with her you know, every other day and then all of a sudden we don't hear from Corinne anymore. Two weeks goes by and then McKenna gets a call from Corinne and she's upset and she's saying, I don't want to live anymore. I'm in Mexico City. My mom didn't want me anymore so she sent me to an uncle's house in Mexico City. And my daughter at the time was going to Calvary Chapel Bible College in Marietta and so she worked it out with the Bible college to get her into a summer program for people like that. She had nowhere to live. She had nothing. And so she called me and she said, Dad, I, I worked it out to get, to get Corinne into the, into the Bible college summer thing. The problem is that she's in Mexico City and I don't know how to get her here. And I said, what? Well, what do you mean? I'm in Mexico City, eh? McKenna. I scheduled a business trip three months ago. And she's like, what? I said, yeah, if you can get her to the airport, I will get her a plane ticker, ticket and get her to you. And so on that Friday at Terminal 26, I, I roll up and there's this young 20-year-old girl wrecked, 
Because that's what sin does. It wrecks you. Not just your sin, but other people's sin. It wrecks your life. And as she's sitting there in a hoodie, she starts telling me her story. And she asked me this question. I'll never forget it for the rest of my life. Do you believe God could love a person like me? We got on the plane. I sent her to California. She got into the program. In the summer, she gave her life to Jesus Christ. And then, listen, they gave her a two-year scholarship to stay in the Bible college. And two years later, I was at a pastor's conference eating lunch at the round table, and I get this tap on my shoulder, and I hear Mr. Pearson, I turn around, and it's Corinne dressing in her right mind. All because... A 16-year-old chose to separate themselves from what was, you know, permissible in school. You can't talk to people about God in, in school. Who says? Pharaoh? Young people, you have no idea how many Corins are in your life. If you will just say no to this offer and you will separate yourself from Egypt and make yourself available to God. The last offer Pharaoh makes might be the most damaging. Exodus chapter 10, verse 24, the most ridiculous at least, but for a lot of people today it's not. Darkness has just hit, the plague has hit, and so here we are again in Exodus verse, chapter 10, verse 24, Pharaoh called Moses in and he said, go serve the Lord. You and your little ones, you guys could all go. Only let your flocks and your herds remain. Pharaoh says, go worship God. Can't stop you. But leave your herds behind. This is the worst of them all. You say, why? Moses says, Pharaoh, that's impossible because our herds are what we use to sacrifice. And so what you're really asking us to do is to go worship God, but leave out the sacrifice. How are we supposed to worship God if there's no blood? Because that's what God, as a foreshadow of what's to come, that's what God is saying is the center of the worship. You want us to go worship God and leave out the sacrifice. But you know what, folks? People do that all the time today. The cross isn't the most important thing. You know what is? You. Many churches, and I know it's not this one because I know what Ed Taylor teaches. Many churches, you're the most important thing. Oh man, the Lord really, here's the gospel, the Lord really loves you and He's just, you're suffering and your pain and, and He just really wants to hug you and He understands your pain and He wants to touch you and so if you'll come to Jesus, He'll take care of you in that pain, okay? What about His pain? What about His scars? What about His nails that He didn't deserve? And his feet that were pierced that he didn't deserve. And the crowns on his head. What about the suffering of Jesus Christ as being the premier and preeminent thing in church? But it's the people now. And when you come to church, you should come to worship him. And what he did for you. 
If you become the focus, you will never be satisfied because if you can walk in to the presence of God and you put the cross in the back and your need becomes the most important, listen, nothing in the world will satisfy you. Nothing will take away your pain. But if you look at what he went through and you look at him bearing the weight of your sin, Suddenly, all of your needs, though they may still be there, they become secondary and he becomes preeminent. In 2 Kings 16, 14, you can read this on your own. King Ahaz was the king of Judah and he saw that the king of Israel, Pekah, was going to come and fight. And so he reached out to the king of Assyria called Tiglath-Pileser and he said, will you come down and help me fight? And so Tiglath-Pileser does. Ahaz gives him some, some gold and, and, and he takes care of his problem. And in a thank you tour where Ahaz goes up to Damascus, he sees this big, wonderful, beautiful pagan altar in Damascus. And you know, well, it worked for them. Look at how strong they are. So he takes the blueprints and he sends them down south to Uriah the priest. And he says, make me one of these. And when you do, listen, take my altar and stick it in the front of the house and take the brazen altar and stick it in the back. The brazen altar was the bloody place. It was the first thing you encountered when you walked into the tabernacle. It was where the sacrifice was bound. It was where the blood was thrown up against the altar. It wasn't pretty. It was offensive. It was disgusting. But it was the first thing you encountered before you went to, to the bronze laver, before you went to the holy place, before you did anything else. You dealt with that altar. And what this king does, he says, well, let's take that out and let's get it out of the way and let's put this new beautiful one up here, this less offensive one up here. What? Folks, the sacrifice of Christ is the reason we're here. It has to be the main reason we're here. And that is going to be offensive. But if you remove that, all you got is four walls and a bunch of silly people that are wasting their time when they could be off watching the USC Trojans dominate the college football world. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw that in, Ed. <laughs> what do you want from church? You want some cool music? Or do you want the God in the music? What do you want in a message? Do you want to feel better about yourself and feel like you could really do this? Or do you want to know that you have this treasure in earth and vessel that the excellency and the power is of him and not of yourself? Do you want to be told you're a great person? You can do it. You can do it. Go human. Or do you want to be told that you're broken and busted, but listen, you're in the arms of a loving God who has lived the perfect life for you. That's the difference. The worship team can come up. Folks, I've been a believer for almost 30 years. I am so incredibly thankful that God sought me out and found me. And now 30 years later, do you know what I understand about grace? You know, when you're a young Christian, you think you're a lot better than you really are. You know, you're like, oh yeah, grace, grace, but you have no idea what grace is. 
You just know that it's in the Bible and you got to preach it because it's sound doctrine. But then you get older and you live with you for a little while and you start to realize, man, I'm getting worse. (laughs) But listen, where sin abounds, grace is abounding. And as you walk with Jesus longer, you start to realize, I understand grace a little more because I understand how just depraved I am. And you get to the end, and you're going to say, as Paul did, I'm the chiefest of sinners. I was a pretty good guy when I was younger, but man, I really stink now. And then, listen, the scripture that says, now to him who is able to keep you and to present you blameless before his glory and grace will be your reality. And you will fall to your knees and realize, God, the only reason I made it was because of you. Because you are that good and you're that wonderful. But listen, I cannot stand here and I cannot leave you and make you think that somehow if, if, if you come to Christ, if you don't know Jesus, if you come to Christ, the whole world is going to be better for you. I can promise you this because the Bible promises you this. If you come to Christ, he'll give you eternal life. And what he does with you in the rest of that time is up to him. But if you don't come to Christ, John says, He who has a son has life. He who does not have the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God will remain on him. You got no hope, man. You're you're talking to somebody who tried it. You got no hope. There ain't anybody else coming for you. Nobody else is coming to pay your price. Nobody else is coming to live a perfect life for you. Nobody else is coming to exchange his life for yours. You are on your own without Christ. All alone in this world. You think your husband, you think your wife, your kids, your family is going to help you. They ain't going to be able to do nothing for you. The only one, the lover of your soul, the one who made you in his image. If you reject him, you've got nobody else in this world. That's how wonderful he is. Would you bow your heads? Father, may every believer in this place, online, listening on the radio, may every believer reject every one of those offers. Wholeheartedly reject them. They are not from you. They're from the king of Egypt. They're from Pharaoh. They're from the God of this world. And he's been opposing you ever since the day that you cast him down. And he wants your people to compromise. So first, listen. If you're here and you are a Christian, you've accepted Christ, you are saved and you know that. But listen, you are walking way too hand in hand with this world. You are too close to Egypt. It is very evident from what you think, from what you do, how you act in the dark, what you do with nobody else knowing you're like, Lord, and it, and it plagues you and you know that. It's not like you're do, you, you go home and cry. You're like, God, why can't I get this right? And you know you're too close. And you realize now, dude, i got to make the decision that Steve made and that many other people in here made when they spent two years of their life trying to please both kings and have the best of both worlds. And it didn't work. And I need to stop this now. Your time is running out, man. I thought the trumpet was coming in song two. But it's coming. And you realize, Steve, man, I want to do this right now in front of my brothers and sisters. Listen, if you can't make a decision like that in family, you have no hope of going out and living an open life for the Lord in the world that rejects Him. 
So if that's you and you just say, man, I want prayer, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. You're too close to Egypt and you know it. Stand up wherever you're at. God bless you and you and you in the back, you in here all over. You're saying, I just want these ropes cut on the side and the back all over. God bless you guys. You know the Lord. But you also know that, man, you're way too close to what you should be separated from. God bless you guys. God bless you guys. Anyone else? Now listen. I was hungover. I was coming back. I saw a church, Calvary Chapel Downey. I drove in the back 30 years ago. I sat in the very back row of a 3,000 person sanctuary and a man told me everything about my life. Everything. And then he said, it can all be different. And God would separate everything that you've ever done wrong from you for good. And he offered me the gospel and the gospel wasn't Jesus could make me better. The gospel was this. And for some, it'll prick you to the heart. For others, you'll stop your ears up. But regardless, the gospel is this. You have deeply offended God. I have deeply offended God. It is a sin. It's not all your sins. It's a sin of living in rebellion to Him. And you can never save yourself. Job said, can something unclean bring something clean out of itself? And the answer is no. And you will try to fix your conduct. You will try to fix your behavior. You will go to church and you'll do all the stuff that you're supposed to do to be good. But you will go home and you will live with yourself. And you will know you're not right. A 75-year-old woman came up to me one year ago who left the Mormon church. First time she ever stepped into a Christian church. And she came up to me after the service and she said, Pastor, I've never heard the name of Jesus more in the first song than I, you know, in, in this place than I ever have ever in my 70-something years of being a Mormon. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. And I, it was like, it's like you have a five-star general there. And I'm like, well, why are you leaving if you don't mind me asking? And here she, here's what she said. Because every day that I would go home for 75 years, I always wondered if I was good enough for God. Well, let me help you with that. No, you're not. You never will be. Your conduct doesn't need to be reformed. Your life needs to be reborn. And that happens when you understand you're a sinner and that Christ died for your sins and He paid a price that He did not owe so that you could be freed and let go. And if you want that by faith, then as God changed this man 30 years ago in the back of a church where I thought nobody saw me, God saw me. He saw everything I was going through. And he said, here's my son, yes or no. And I'll offer you the same thing. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, your sins are not forgiven, let me tell you, there is only an eternity that's waiting for you that is not good. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. 
Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.